0: Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBS pod is for you. Episode 30. Statistics. When I say the word statistics, it always makes me think about famous saying from my childhood. There are three kinds of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. In obstetrics, we use statistics frequently, whether it's to tell a woman the chance of her baby having a genetic condition, such as sickle cell, or when we talk to her about place of birth. We deal with probability. What are the chances of this happening, that happening, this complication or problem arising? We're dealing with evidence-based medicine. So a lot of what we talk about is numbers. Creating numbers at couples is often the reason we use to explain why we're recommending a particular course of action. do we really use statistics well? And why does that childhood phrase pop frequently into my mind? Let's start with a definition of statistics. According to the dictionary, statistics is a branch of mathematics dealing with the collection, analysis, interpretation and presentation of masses of numerical data. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're dealing with all the time. One of the key statistical conversations we have in early pregnancy is about screening. Screening for Down syndrome, Edwards and Patows as these are the most common chromosomal abnormalities and there's a national screening programme to detect them. The screening programme is by its very nature not a diagnostic tool. It's used to pick up pregnancies that we think are more at risk. We tend to use a cut-off probability of 1 in 150. It's commonly used to decide if a diagnostic test might be necessary or advised. Obviously, this depends on what the woman's attitude is to having a baby with a chromosomal problem, and I will talk about the ethics and morals of that discussion in a different podcast. But this means for every woman with a higher or equal chance than one in 150 is termed, in inverted commas, screen positive. This can be hard to explain. Most women with these results will have a completely healthy baby with no chromosomal issue. But all they may hear in the rush of emotion in screen positive is further tests are suggested. So rather than hearing one in 150, they hear one. They don't hear that 149 babies will not be affected. Framing information in two directions is really important. It's very different on the receiving end, one in 150 or 149 babies and one. Let's just hold that one in 150 in our minds for a bit and turn to late pregnancy. Fast forward to a woman who's now 36 weeks. It's her second baby, she's making a decision about place of birth. Her pregnancy's been uncomplicated, apart from that one in 150 chance. And she had a diagnostic test that was negative. She comes into clinic and we discuss where she wants to give birth. We might mention home birth. Her response might be, Oh no, I wouldn't consider that. My pregnancy was quite stressful because of my screening test result and I just want what's safest. I want to be in hospital. Well, what should we say? Well, the truth is we should probably say that if a 1,000 women planned birth at home, 998 babies would be healthy and two would be unwell, injured, or in worst case, die. Whereas if she's in an obstetric unit, the numbers would be 997 and three, respectively. We might go on to say to her, that for 96 of 100 women having birth at home in her situation, they will be well and 4% will have complications at home. Whereas if she comes into an obstetric unit, it might be that she's got a 30% chance of a complication, an episiotomy cut, an instrumental birth, induction or even cesarean. I've included a birthplace infographic in the program notes, which is really helpful in visually explaining this. So this is a woman that felt 1 in 150 was high enough that she needed to undergo a diagnostic test, but who will now choose 3 in 1,000 and a 30% risk to herself to be in hospital. I'm clearly oversimplifying things tremendously, but the rates and statistics are very different. The point I'm attempting to make is how honest are we about figures? Are we honest about the choices women are making from the evidence, the theoretical data, when we translate it into practical terms? I know nationally that hospital episode statistics data, or HES data, tells me that 58% of births are spontaneous vaginal births. Let me say that again. 58%. I know that. Midwives know that. Do pregnant women know that? I don't know. When one is pregnant and one imagines giving birth, imagining what the labour might look like doesn't usually look like a 42% chance of some kind of tear or a 19% chance of a postpartum hemorrhage, bleeding after the birth of the baby. Let's go back again. Look at our down screening style information. We're now talking a 42 in 100 chance of instrumental birth or caesarean, and a 1 in 5 chance of significant bleeding. I'm not sure how openly we share that. Women come into hospital expecting to have a straightforward birth. That's what they imagine in their minds. Do they understand that actually coming into hospital in itself is a risk? And I've mentioned this in my home birth episode. Of course, I'm talking about women that have had a fairly straightforward pregnancy. If there are other underlying risk factors, hospital is absolutely the right place to be but we need to be honest about these numbers too. Then we also need to be honest about different variations in practice between different maternity units, as well as differences in different data sets. One of the first things one has to unpick as an obstetrician when you start to look at data is different definitions. You'd think that spontaneous vaginal birth would be an obvious definition, but it isn't. And way back in 2007, the Royal College of Midwives and the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists joined together with the National Childbirth Trust, Ames and others to try and build a consensus definition of what spontaneous vaginal birth was. Let's take hemorrhage. Postpartum hemorrhage. That means bleeding after the birth of the baby. The classic definition is more than 500 mils, 500 millilitres, half a litre. Not that much. If, however, it becomes as much as one and a half litres, that's a significant amount of bleeding. A significant amount of the woman's total circulating blood volume may impact on her hospital stay and her recovery from her birth. So if we're looking at the rate of 1500 milliliters hemorrhage, surely that would be easy. Well, would it? Can we estimate that accurately? That's the first question. The second question is what about a woman who we think has lost less blood than that, but then turns out her blood count drops a lot Or what about a woman who actually, we thought it was less than that, but requires a blood transfusion because she's so unstable at the time. That also suggests that she probably has lost that blood volume. So what data set and what definition are we going to use? One main data set that I've already mentioned is HES data, hospital episode statistics. This is data that Is essentially used to pay the hospital. When a woman is discharged home, her medical records go to coding. The coding department translates everything in the notes that's written down into codes so that we can get the appropriate payment. Well, that sounds quite easy and straightforward too. Hemorrhage, postpartum hemorrhage, is postpartum hemorrhage, isn't it? Well, if you then look at the codes, there are numerous ones. So we can have obstetric hematoma of pelvis, that's a type of blood clot. Other unspecified obstetric trauma, third stage hemorrhage. Other immediate postpartum hemorrhage, delayed and secondary postpartum hemorrhage. Postpartum coagulation defects, that's clotting disorders that come with hemorrhage intrapartum haemorrhage with coagulation defect, other intrapartum haemorrhage, intrapartum haemorrhage unspecified. So that's nine different ways that a postpartum haemorrhage could be coded straight off before we've even added in anything about a tear or the cause of the bleeding. So it isn't surprising that HES data and data from our records or data from our computer systems might not entirely match up. Let me explain this again in slightly simpler terms. You have five apples. You know you have five apples. You can count to five, they're all apples. But what if one data set said five apples and the other data set said one Cox, one Granny Smith, one Jazz, one Bramley and one Pink Lady. They would still be five apples but they would be very different apples and then that might lead to the mean classified in a different way. That's what HES data does. So is this important? Does it matter? Let's take maternal mortality. That definitely matters. How many women die during pregnancy or soon after the birth of their baby. This is another area in which even high-quality scientific evidence can compare apples and pears accidentally. In 2010, I distinctly remember a bit of an uproar. There was quite a lot of shock and horror in obstetric circles because there was a paper published in The Lancet that was picked up by a lot of national newspapers. A lot of newspapers ran stories of the fact that the UK maternal mortality rate was 23rd in the world. How could NHS maternity care be such a low rank? The same Lancet paper also explained that maternity care in the UK was not improving as rapidly as it was in other countries. What were we doing wrong? And in particular, what were we doing wrong in comparison to Italy? Italy, the country that topped the table with only 4 per 100,000 deaths versus R 8.2 per 100,000 deaths. The answer lay in the detail. In the UK, we've had a very robust system of reporting for maternal deaths since confidential inquiries into maternal death were introduced in 1952. All maternal deaths are reported centrally, reviewed and scrutinised to consider lessons that may be learnt. We have extremely strict definitions of what does and doesn't count as a maternal death. We look at death, of a woman up to one year after the birth when the classic definition worldwide is up to 42 days and we also include what are termed incidental deaths such as road traffic accidents or murder so that we do not underreport or miss things that may have contributed. The confidential inquiries which have now been taken on by Embrace are well respected worldwide as a gold standard of how to investigate, survey and review maternal death. Okay, brilliant. What about Italy? Interesting. So if you were Italy and you were an Italian obstetrician and gynaecologist, you might imagine you'd be sitting on your laurels. You're there in the lancet at the top of the table as the best maternal mortality in the world. Job done. Fantastic. But no, what happened next? Italian obstetricians and gynaecologists did not believe the data. They didn't feel that it was true, that they were the best in the world. They didn't feel that that 4 per 100,000 was correct. So in response to being ranked number one in the world, they undertook their own investigation. Their official statistics were derived from death certificate data. And instead what they did was they looked at maternal deaths in five Italian regions comparing death certificate data with hospital data. They concluded that there was underreporting in the official figures by 63%. That is, that officially only 37% of maternal deaths were being correctly counted. And when they adjusted their maternal mortality ratio it came out to 11.8 per 100,000. They concluded that one must look at multiple data sets or have a surveillance system similar to what we have in the UK to get adequate data. Most frightening, they recognised that many of the unreported deaths were from direct obstetric complications such as bleeding and high blood pressure so that significant opportunity for learning and improving care was being lost. So this is another example where comparing apples and apples is not necessarily correct. One may be, even in a high calibre journal such as The Lancet, be comparing apples with pears. Another statistic that's controversial is cesarean rates. The point of a cesarean, after all, is to improve morbidity and mortality in mothers and babies. However, it is a procedure not without risk itself. Reviews of data suggest that once a population level of cesarean sections of 10-15% to is reached, there is no further reduction in perinatal morbidity and mortality, that is, the outcomes for the babies, as you increase further. In fact, as you increase further, you introduce more maternal morbidity and mortality. We don't mean to do the wrong thing, but if one looks at the National Maternity and Perinatal Audit, the average caesarean section rate countrywide in the UK is 26%, but there is wide variation from 19% to 33%. Why is this? And how can we reconcile this with only taking necessary intervention? The National Maternity and Perinatal Audit, or NMPA, was started in 2016 to look at data from different UK maternity units for just this reason, so that women and families can compare services, but also those of us that are professionals working in the services can compare like with like we can interrogate the data and look to improve. The NMPA helpfully includes colour coding to indicate if something is higher or lower than the mean and funnel plots that adjust for case mix, birth number and so on so that one can see if something really is a clear outlier or is just due, due to the demographics of that particular hospital. This is no mean feat. I can't tell you the number of meetings I've sat through where people have argued about data. Yes, it's a complex issue, but seriously, people give reasons why their data at one hospital is different to another. So many arguments about definitions, mitigating circumstances, different background populations, tertiary referrals. The list is endless, baffling with science. So the advent of the NMPA is very welcome and you can take a look in more detail at the NMPA if you wish. I've included a link. Let's now turn to the zesty bit. What do I want you to learn from all this? As a doctor, I need to talk evidence-based medicine. Be scientific, use the numbers to help women make decisions. But I must confess that isn't really me. I'm not really a numbers science detail person. I'm more a feeling intuitive person. Of course, there's an argument for this. Application of numbers to individual situations is difficult. I need to explore what's important to the woman in front of me and not make an assumption. Thinking back to Montgomery and informed consent that I mentioned in last week's episode, Big Baby, we need to give women good information on all her options. After all, we've moved away from a paternalistic model of medicine where we tell people what to do. Sometimes though, I feel we're baffling women with an infinite number of choices and a large amount of information. It's not that unusual that in a clinic, I get a woman saying to me, what would you recommend? What would you advise? What would you do if you were me? I just want someone to tell me what to do. It's too much choice. So I think what I'm trying to say is stats are important, but they're only part of the jigsaw. Medicine, yes, it's a science, but it's an art too. So try and help a woman through the evidence, what's relevant to her and what isn't, alongside understanding what are her priorities and listening to her. I think that's the key. It's the art of the application of all these numbers and understanding that numbers aren't everything and that numbers, when they're interrogated, don't always seem, when you delve a bit deeper, the same as what they did at face value. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OBS pod. If you have, do like, subscribe or leave a review and join me again to explore more about the life of an NHS obstetrician. I'm finding it really exciting to have people listening and give me feedback about what they've found interesting. So please do recommend the ObsPod to other friends, colleagues or people who you think might find it interesting. I'd love it if you'd share with me what you've enjoyed about listening and if you've done anything differently as a result. I can be found on Twitter at fwmaternity and at the OBSPOD and please do check the Matexp hashtag hashtag MATEXP and the website matexp.org.uk for more information and ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Finally, I'd like to reassure you that I take confidentiality very seriously and although I'm talking about experiences from my working life, I'm taking great pains to make sure that I anonymise the stories and talk in more general terms so that I keep confidentiality of my women I currently care for and have cared for in the past very safe. Many thanks for listening.